Okay, if we could be opening our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 6. We're continuing on uh, this morning in our study of the book of Acts, and we're approaching kind of a turning point, which I'll explain later, but I want to first of all thank Ashley so much for sharing. There she is. Thank you so much for sharing. So honestly and openly, did an awesome job. Super proud of you. And uh, again, we're so inspired by how you have uh, endured so much already and have become such a wise and uh, amazing young woman of God. And so we're so proud of you. So amen. Okay, who in here has ever run out of gas? Driving a car and you've run out of gas. I, I, I have... Uh, by the way, one of my old roommates from the, my college days is here today, Dave Nimitz, uh, from Madison, who's, uh, we were actually singles and roommates, and, and uh, yeah, lots of great memories. Uh, anyways, great to see you, Dave. Uh, but so running out of gas, uh, I've run out of gas a number of, t- a number of times um, at uh, much uh, laughter and expense. But uh, what does the car do? What does it act like when you start to, you know, run out of gas? Those of you who have experienced it. What happens? It stops. On the way to stopping, what starts to happen? you, you, You hit the gas pedal and you get this hesitation. And it stops doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? And you're like, oh, no. And for me, it's like, Christy's going to be so mad at me. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, tell lots of stories about, oh, we can make it, no problem. Um, But anyways, you know, we can run out of gas spiritually, right? We can run out of gas. We can start to run on empty. And really, the, the Christian life doesn't function the way... It's designed when we're not filled with the Spirit of God. And today, we're going to look at someone, Stephen, who was filled with the Spirit of God and was an inspiration, continues to be an inspiration to us today. So we are studying through the book of Acts, and uh, last week we studied Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And today, now, we're kind of shifting gears in the spirit that Jerusalem, the Bible says that um, the gospel had filled Jerusalem, and many priests now who originally were incredibly opposed to Jesus and to the Word and to the church now are becoming disciples. And so Jerusalem is being evangelized, and it's an amazing thing. But uh, uh, God never just intended the gospel to spread throughout Jerusalem, right? Acts 1 verse 8 says he wants it to go all through Judea and Samaria and to where? And to the ends of the earth. And us in Eau Claire, Wisconsin are glad it didn't stop in Jerusalem. Amen? Or just with the Jews. And uh, so we see here now the spirits start to prepare for the catapulting of the gospel into Samaria, and that's in Acts chapter 8, where Philip goes to Samaria. 
And then also he meets a man from Ethiopia. So now the gospel starts to spread to Samaria, down to Africa. In Acts chapter 9, this guy named Saul becomes a disciple, and he's instrumental in taking the gospel through the rest of the earth. So we see Philip in Acts chapter 7, or excuse me, uh, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, Philip in Acts chapter 8, Saul in Acts chapter 9, uh, Cornelius, uh, who is the first Gentile to become a disciple uh, in Acts chapter 10. And then we see the church in Antioch, in essence, be kind of planted uh, in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13. We see the first mission sent out. So these next few chapters are really the Spirit of God working through individuals to prepare for the gospel to be catapulted into the rest of the world. Does that make sense? So a little context there for what we're uh, going to study. So let's, let's read here in uh, Acts chapter 6. Uh, we'll start in verse 7, actually, to transition into verse 8. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, Stephen and... Uh, uh, you know, there was some debate whether it was Stephen or Stephen. So I asked our Greek expert, Zach, so what, what's the proper pronunciation of this Greek name, Stephen? And he said, Steverino. Okay. <laughs> that, was, uh, I, that was intended to be a joke, but it obviously wasn't. Okay. Mark that, Alan, in uh, your uh, future banquet material. Okay, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. I want to talk about Stephen just for a minute before we move on. It says here that he was full of God's grace and power. In chapter 6, verse 5, a few verses earlier when they're dealing with the distribution of the food, it says that they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So, so far in a few verses, this man has been described as being full of the Holy Spirit, of faith, of grace, and of power. And it's, he's also described in verse 3 as one of the men who was reputed or known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So Stephen is an ordinary disciple. He's not an apostle. He's just a, a disciple, but he's full. He's not running on empty. He's full. And the word full is pleres, and it means to be, uh, let me find my, to be his soul, to be thoroughly permeated with. So his, his soul, his heart, his life was thoroughly permeated with the Spirit, with the grace of God, faith in God, power and wisdom. Pretty cool character sketch, would you not say? And I, I have to ask, um, what has my soul been filled with this past week? The grace of God for myself and others, power, wisdom, 
uh, um, uh, grace, power, faith, wisdom, the Holy Spirit. You know, I have, what have I been filled with and been filling myself with? And so as a result, you see here that he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So he did wonderful things. He had wonderful deeds. Now, can we say deeds in the church in the 21st century? The word deeds almost has become like a swear word in the evangelical culture. Well, deeds are so preached against that we're not saved through our deeds that we forget that while that is absolutely true, amen, we're saved by, by grace through faith for deeds is what the Bible actually teaches. So let's make sure we're not so against deeds we forget to do anything as a result of being filled with the love of God. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. Okay. Stephen was a man who this wasn't just this individual spirituality that made him feel better, though I believe individual spirituality makes us feel better. It was resulted in action, in wonderful deeds, miracles. We already see, see him caring for the widows. Um, often these sign miracles and, and these things are sick being healed, cripples being able to walk, blind being able to see. Later on in chapter 7, we see he's an incredible preacher of God's word. So here's a man who loves people, who cares, wants to help out, wants to glorify God, amen, and pours himself out. You know, I'm so inspired by some of the wonderful deeds I see amongst you, and I want to share a few of them. Um, you know, I was up yesterday in Duluth. Tim Bernicki and I went up to visit uh, the core leadership group there in Duluth, and I uh, spent some time with Mike and Lisa Windholz, and they're an inspiring example to us, right? Because Mike and Lisa, I mean, you guys know them. They're incredible, but they're also just ordinary disciples. Amen? They're not paid in the ministry. They're, not, they're just ordinary disciples who decided, we're going to move to Duluth to strengthen God's family. And they have done that. Amen? Uh, but not only that, they were preparing yesterday for a mission trip to Haiti. So they're going with uh, the Apantes, and she's from uh, Haiti, and so they had all the medical stuff, and they're going down to Haiti, and they're not just doing this trip, they're exploring options for the Duluth Church to be connected to the church in Haiti, which is extremely hurting and poor, to be a continual source of encouragement and wonderful deeds for them. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Um, how about uh, Chris and Kathy Moose? Of course, they, we, we all have eaten their food and celebrated in their house. But this weekend, they are in Appleton, Wisconsin, doing a parenting workshop. And this is an incredible workshop, and they're going to be doing it here because we actually know their kids. <laughs> and we want to learn from their parenting. Uh, amen. Okay. Um, you know, I'm so inspired by um, Terry Noel. We love Ned and Terry here. See, it isn't about just traveling other places, though sometimes we need to. Ned and Terry have been through a lot with their youngest son, Micah, who is a special needs child. And they've been through a lot of hardship and pain. But instead of allowing this pain to turn them from God or be embittered, 
they're now using this to minister to other people. They're starting a special needs in parenting group, SNAP EC, okay? A special needs in parenting group to minister to other special needs parents uh, and children in the city of Eau Claire. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? Wonder, I call that a wonderful deed. You know, we as a church should be filled, and I believe are often filled with wonderful deeds, not just here, but we go out into our community and we bring a blessing to our neighbors, to our workplaces, to our colleges, um, to our schools, uh, etc. Wonderful deeds. Okay, now, typically, with what happens with God moving, someone else moves. Let's look in verse 9. Let's read on. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as these provinces of Cilicia and Asia. So this is a theme throughout the book of Acts, right? We see the Spirit of God fill his people, and there's an overflow of love and good things going on. And then we see the forces of evil opposing those good deeds. We should never be surprised. Never be surprised that if we set out to do something good, whether it be with our own life or other people's lives, that there will be forces uh, opposing that good. So these guys are opposing them. It says these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, let me summarize what's going on here, and then we'll get on to uh, what, how Stephen responds. So opposition started, first of all, with debate. They came in to debate with him, but it says they could not stand up against Stephen and his wisdom and the words given to him by the Holy Spirit. If, how, how well are you prepared to go toe-to-toe with those who don't believe in God? How well are you prepared to defend the gospel, prepared to answer an atheist or someone who maybe is holding to a false teaching or a false doctrine? How well do you know the scriptures in order to have the wisdom, not of the world, but of God, and are able by the Holy Spirit to refute falseness? You know, a lot of times we just don't like conflict. So he's like, oh, whatever. But Stephen was able to go toe-to-toe with these guys, and he knew exactly what he believed, why he believed it, and how to persuade them. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, if we could just show... Uh, this verse real quick, Ellen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it shows how, it talks, Paul talking about Timothy, he says, how from infancy, from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, it's a good question that I want to often ask myself, how much do I just know the Word of God? Directly related, right, to how much am I studying the Word of God? To Timothy, who is a, a forceful leader, he just knew the Word of God since birth. You know, Carter and I, we get these Bible quizzes. You know, we're kind of like Bible geeks in a, in a way. We, we've joined in our geekdom of we love the Bible. And, though that's not geeky. Uh, but we like to take quizzes. And we took this Old Testament quiz, and he's like, I want to take you on, Dad. And uh, we went at it, and, um, you know, it's not about who wins and loses, right? Uh, Then we took this New Testament quiz, and I was inspired by his knowledge of the Bible. But I know why he's that way. It's not because his dad's a preacher. He's up early reading his Bible every day, sometimes before me. Amen? Uh, How about us? How about you? How much are we really into the scriptures? Okay, so they started with debate, and they lost the debate. So then they just, okay, you're right, we're wrong, we'll go, we'll become disciples. Not how it happened. They went now to a smear campaign. Okay, a smear campaign. They, They told up lies, they brought legal things, and ultimately, none of these things worked, so it ended in violence. And it's interesting, though, how it describes Stephen. Remember, full of grace, full of wisdom, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit. When these accusations came against him, they stared at him intently. And what was the description? What did they observe? That his face was like the face of an angel. You know, how, I gotta, I'm convicted by that. How do I act when I'm come at with false witnesses or lies about me or character slander or someone who just hurts, hurts my feelings. Does my face remain like that of the face of an angel or does my face turn you know, bitter, angry, hurt? And listen, no one else's sin, the Holy Spirit in you, if you're a disciple, the Holy Spirit in you is never overcome by other people's sin. So if you turn sinful when someone else sins against you, that reveals your sin. Right? That doesn't reveal that the Spirit of God is like, Rrr! no, it's, it, that just reveals that there's a flesh in you that just came out. Your sinful nature overcame the Spirit. And, but we see here with Stephen, already full of grace full of patience, kindness, gentleness. Uh, What an an amazing example of how to face opposition. Okay, let's talk about what were the main, let's get a little bit um, technical as far as what were the main accusations that these people came at Stephen with, which you, it should remind us of some other accusations what is this? These accusations reminds us of the same things that they charged Jesus with. Okay, um, the main accusations is that he blasphemed, or blasphemes the temple and the law. That he blasphemes the temple, the holy place of the Jews, and the law. Now, if you're a Jew at this time, you don't mess with the temple, 
and you don't mess with the law. Are you with me there? That, that is, that's their sacred ground. That's their, their identity of God being with them, that God has chosen them. It's because his presence is in the temple, and their temple is in Jerusalem, and therefore they are the chosen nation, okay? And his, his word is the law, came through Moses. Now, did Stephen blaspheme the temple? We don't know anything that Stephen said, but since it's the same accusation as the one brought against Jesus, and since he's a disciple of Jesus, we can presume that he was probably speaking along the same lines that Jesus spoke. So what did Jesus speak about the temple? Jesus did talk about the temple, but he didn't blaspheme it. He said that there is a greater temple than the temple in Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 6, he says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. He's referring to himself. That the temple was the temple because it contained the presence of God. Okay? In the Holy of Holies. Right? But Jesus is saying, I contain the presence of God. And more so, he's saying, I am God. I am the Son of God. So I am greater than the temple. It wasn't be like, oh, I'm greater than the temple. It's more like, no, you, I need to communicate with you that I am where you need to come to meet God. You don't no longer, you don't know, no longer do you need to go to the temple. You just need to come to me. Amen? Okay? Um, and then the law. Same thing with, with Stephen. We don't know what he said specifically about the law, but we have what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 17. Jesus said, I don't think I have come to abolish the law. Or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So it's same general thought. In essence, Jesus is saying, I respect the law of Moses. And we'll see Stephen as well had great respect for the law of Moses. But I'm not, I don't need to obey its man-made rules around the law because I'm the fulfillment of the law. I, I, I obey the law. I am the law. And the law is not just, was never intended to be rules to be good enough, or like a good person about. The law was intended to bring life. Living words, Stephen's going to call them later. Living words. Jesus said, I am living the living word. Not only do my words bring life, I am the word of life. John chapter 1. Amen? Um, I am life itself. So Jesus, it can sound like he was blaspheming the temple and blaspheming the law, but if you really understood and received who he was, you saw that he was the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the temple. And actually, if you didn't accept Jesus, you were actually the one blaspheming the temple and the law. So that's a preview of what Stephen is going to... Um, Communicate here to the Jews. Now, this is, this is a chunk of Scripture, okay? It's a whole chapter. We're going to read it, and we're going we're gonna to read it. We're not in a hurry here. Ooh, it's already 7 after, so we're in a little bit of a hurry. <laughs> but, boy, what should I? Let's see here. I'm going to read it. 
okay? So if you have to be somewhere by 11.15, then you can just text them that you'll be late. Okay, and then next time you won't learn to schedule anything with Joel's preaching uh, at 11.15. Anyways, let's read this, and I'm going to point out, just very briefly, God's presence outside of the temple, God's word outside of the law, and how the Israelites responded to it. And all throughout here is we see Jesus. We see Jesus. Okay, Acts 7. Then the high priest asked, are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. God appeared, God's presence was with Abraham before the temple was built. Okay? And then he said, Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land. I will show you. Abraham heard God's word before the law of Moses was given. This is one of the main, this is how the book of Romans, this is how Paul communicates to the Jews that God and Jesus are greater than the Jewish religion. Does that make sense? Again, you've got to remember this whole process is this is Jews trying to figure out how to, if Christianity is real and they're processing and so these are Jews who have come to faith in Jesus. From a, from a 21st century Gentile perspective, we don't struggle with this as much. But it's very important for us to understand this is, this is how um, our Christian, this is the foundation for our Christianity. Okay, so, okay, a little less talking, a little more Bible. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father... God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac, circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. Do you hear God's presence right there? God was with Joseph. Not in the temple, he was with Joseph. And the point, one of the points is that God is not tied to the place. He is tied to his people. He gave, verse 10, he gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was. Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. This time... 
At this, as, as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So Stephen was not disrespecting Moses. Matter of fact, most of this speech is about Moses. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit the fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Do you hear Jesus there? Do you hear Jesus? God sent Jesus to rescue his own people. They thought he would recognize them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by, by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the men who were mistreating the other pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. God's presence, not in the temple, but in the bush. God's word, not just in the law of Moses, but what we're about to hear. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. The Lord said to him, take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. A building doesn't make a place holy. It's God's presence that makes it holy. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, who made you roller and judge? He said he was sent, excuse me, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Do you hear Jesus? Do you hear Jesus? He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is that Moses that told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. See, they had the word of God. The point was not whether they had the word of God or not. The point was, were they obeying the word of God? Or not. Now we can apply that to our lives. Are you with me there? Who of us owns a Bible? The point is not whether we got a big Bible. Are we obeying the scriptures? Are, is it living in us? Is it living words like Stephen described it? Or are our souls dead to it? Um, where were we? Verse 40. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. 
That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. God, but God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Or for our forefathers, now Stephen, start to come to a conclusion here. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked, him, asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And, and, and I'm just going to pause before we get to this last section. So Stephen has shown that the temple is not... Um, greater than the God who fills the temple. What's great is God's presence going with Abraham, Joseph, Jacob, Moses. It's the presence of God that makes a place holy. And the words of God is not in the law of the living word is not only in the law of Moses. It's in God's presence then speaking to the people and ultimately fulfilled the, the the presence and the word of God is fulfilled in Jesus because he foreshadowed Jesus all through here. All right. And so now he concludes he brings it home to the listener. And remember, many of the Jews had become disciples. Many of them had chosen faith in Jesus because they saw the truth. And the ones that are left are intentionally not believing, even though they have had every chance to repent and turn to God. And so Stephen, at the end here, comes in with verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Whoa. Stephen is full of power, full of wisdom, full of grace. He's saying these words, I don't believe out of a heart that is like, you're just a bunch of doofus, dummy idiots. I'm so much better than you. He's saying, no, please, I beg of you for the grace of God, turn to Jesus. But you're just being so stubborn. Man, my wife has said that a few times to me. You, I don't know if she used the word stiff-necked, but that's what it means when you're just like, mm, like, I don't care how wrong I am. I'm not admitting it. 
you with me there? Okay. And, 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 and so he says, it's not me who has blasphemed the temple or the word of God. It is actually you. Oh, mercy. That is some serious, I don't know what you call it, laying it out, um, not holding back, boldness, honesty, openness. An example for us, would you not say? Now listen to the response. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I, that's what, this, is, this is what I want, that I could so live for Jesus and so take a stand for him, no matter the cost, that, that Jesus would take note in heaven and would stand at the right hand. When we stand for God, he stands for us. Amen? And it says, um, now you know that went over well with the Jews, right? At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Wait a second. Wait a second. This was supposed to be a reasonable trial. Where is the jury's deliberation? Where is the judge's verdict? Where is the high priest saying, hmm, let's take a day and pray about this? Where is anything? One of the whole points of the book of Acts is that it's the Jews who were acting extremely unreasonably. And it's actually the Romans, the, the, the Roman lawyers and the Roman judges who are like, yeah, sounds reasonable. Does that make sense? So this is, Luke is also a, he's a, uh, um, he, he's a promoter of legalizing Christianity because all the Romans throughout the book of Acts respond to all these accusations with like, mm, no, that's not true. But the Jews are the ones who are just losing their minds. Okay? And this is what we see here. But Stephen doesn't get off of the Holy Spirit. He stays on the grace and the power and the wisdom and faith in God. He says, um, they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who do you hear? Who do you hear? That's a disciple of Jesus right there because he has the same heart, filled with the same spirit. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. We know that this impacted Saul greatly. He didn't turn at the moment, but he turned a few chapters later. So impacted by Stephen, not what he said, though I'm sure what he said, but by what Stephen, how Stephen died. So Stephen, we'll just close on up here. Um, Stephen not only lived for God, he preached for God, but he died for God. His testimony was sealed by his blood. How about us? Are we pouring ourselves out, our lives out, our minds out, our hearts, 
and even our blood if need be for God, for the gospel? Or do we want just it to be comfortable with minimal skin in the game? Called higher by Stephen, we, should, we must be. What are you pouring yourself out for? Is our testimony sealed by our sacrifice? Are we running on empty spiritually? Let's imitate Stephen. Amen? Let's be full. Let's be filled. Are we filled with the Spirit? In order to do so, we must empty the flesh. Are we filled with grace? In order to do so and, and receive openly this grace, we must uh, be open with our struggles and our sins. That's when we really experience the grace of God. Are we filled with wisdom? If not, we must study and study and study the Word of God. Are we filled with power? The best way that I've found is to be devoted to prayer. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Are we filled with faith? How to be filled with faith? Take a risk today. Maybe you need to take a risk like Stephen took a risk. Maybe you need to decide to be baptized. Maybe you need to decide to get open. Maybe you decide to repent of something and stop being stiff-necked after many rebukes. I don't know for you, but how to be filled. What, how is the Spirit prompting you to be filled? Let's listen to Stephen. Let's watch Stephen. Let's be inspired by Stephen and be full of the Spirit. Amen?